0: All right. Well, tonight, please open to Leviticus chapter 18. We're going to be continuing our study. Uh, My hope is to get us uh, through chapter 20 tonight here, but we have quite a bit of content um, and uh, we're not going to we're going to not leave any meat on the bone. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's pray and we'll begin. Father God, we come before you here. And again, thank you, Lord, as you overheard. I praise you, God, for the good report today on my health. I praise you for helping my son. I praise you for helping this flock. I pray, uh, God, that you continue to help the McVities and just there on my heart right now, Lord. I pray for uh, Jim with a sinus infection, Lauren, Lord, with um, just the strep throat and for, I think, the fourth or fifth time now, God. Uh, Lord, it's so many here need your healing hand. Would you move tonight and not only heal us physically, would you begin even right now to separate in our hearts, Lord, the the cares and everything else and just begin to create a fertility of heart, a fertile heart to receive the word that you've given us, Lord. This is your word. It's God breathed and you want us to have it for a reason. And Lord, much of what we read here tonight, Jesus, it all points to you. It all points to you and how gracious you are, how loving you are, and what a great protector you are. God, thank you. For being so wonderful, so trustworthy, so faithful, we don't deserve it, and it's in spite of that that you do it all. Thank you, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your holy name, and all God's people prayed. Amen. Amen. You might want to turn up my mic a little bit so I don't have to yell, or not yell, but raise my, you know, be a little louder tonight. Forgive me. So, as we look at chapter 18 here, we're going to see specifically 21 times. In Leviticus, we're going to see this idea, I am the Lord your God. It's really in verse 2, but it's an important theme that God is going to be basically taking. And then we're going to see the same thing just in chapter 19, used 17 times alone, just in one chapter. In one chapter. And then we're going to see the building of that. Uh, three different times right within the section of chapter 18 as we go through it. Why is God starting with that? Why is God saying, well, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. He's making sure that everyone understands these are God's ordinances and statutes. And God is the king on the throne and it's not a democracy and it's the kingdom of heaven. And therefore he's the one that ushers in the ordinances and the commandments, the statutes. And so he's wanting to make sure that the people don't turn around and look at Aaron or Moses or anyone else and say, well, what are you making us do this for, Moses? Well, we're going to go into the land of Canaan that's flowing with milk and honey. And yet you're, man, you're killing our trip. You're not letting us go in and do the things we want to do. We got grace, right, man? No, no, God is saying, I desire, sa-. he says, I desire mercy and, and, and obedience over sacrifice. And this is a book about sacrifice. God desires us to keep the statutes and commandments. Now, certainly we're not under the ceremonial law and a lot of what we're going to read here, but we still are under the moral law. The Decalogue has never changed, has it? God didn't turn around and say, well, through grace and sanctification, you can go out and steal and murder. And, you know, he hasn't done that, right? You with me? The moral law is still very much intact for us as new covenant believers. We're just not under the ceremonial practices as discerned and uh, given by the Holy Spirit to James in the church in Acts chapter fifteen and sixteen. There, so let's 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 make sure we understand who's speaking to us. Who was speaking to the church of three million or two million at this time, as they were gathered six hundred thousand men? We read, who was speaking to them? It was the Lord God. He says, "I am the Lord your God." according to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, you shall not do. He says, you know what? I've pulled you out of Egypt. I delivered you. Now we need to get rid of that sin. We need to get the Egypt out of the man, Egypt out of the woman, the sin out of the man and woman there. He says, you're not to do those things anymore. When you became a new covenant believer, when you became born again, you don't look back to the old way you lived and said, well, this is the pattern of life. God says all things have been made new and his desire is that we become more like him in holiness and being set apart in single-mindedness and we don't go back as a dog to his vomit. You with me on that? We're not to do that. And I think that's where a lot of the problems with Christianity begins is when we try to take a tradition and we try to elevate that to God's holy word. It was never meant to be done. God's word is his word. It's God breathed. It's infallible. It's perfect. When you take a tradition and you do that, you can pretty much call it an ism. You can call it a religion. Because all of the the, the misdoctrines or all of the fallacies and everything that we see in religion begin when you veer from relationship. And you can go through your whole Bible. And I'd encourage you to do this. You won't find a single scripture that elevates tradition over obedience, or tradition as where God was coming out and saying, You know, it's okay. It's okay. You have your traditions, and and I appreciate your traditions. No, he says, When you do that, you're far from me. You might feel like you're doing a good thing, but you're doing a ritual. And it's empty. He says, that's, that's not what I'm after. I'm after your heart. I want you to bring your entire heart to me. I want all of you. And, and to have that is not because of what you can do and the works that you can, you know, it, it's because I love you just the way you are and I want all of you. And I don't want to compromise on that. I don't want to fractionalize. I'm not into the timeshare business. So he's, he's making sure, don't do what you did in Egypt. And he says, no, and by the way, I know you're going into this land of Canaan. And you're going to be tempted because what he's going to reveal to us is that the reason that they're, the Canaanites are being removed from that land is because of the wickedness and idolatrous practices that they had. And God is actually going to use Israel to carry out his judgment to take the Canaanites and eventually, obviously eradicate them, get them out of that land because of the idolatry. And he's saying, so don't go into Canaan and now pick up the new practices, the worship of Molech and everything else like that, and begin to try to mix that all in, and you come up with some hodgepodge of Christianity. He says, don't do that. And isn't that a problem today? Because when everybody wants to be politically correct, that I mean, if, if we're speaking as you know, transparent and blunt as we should be here, that is the problem we see with pluralism. Do, are you all familiar with the term pluralism? Do you, do you see that movement today? It, it's, it's more evasive than the attractive church. It's more evasive than the seeker sense of, because it's so deceptive, because it comes under the guise of goodness, and that we're trying to bring everybody together in a unity, in a commonality, but that we're going to check our beliefs or doctrine at the door. So you believe in Muhammad, you you know i believe in jesus you believe in joseph smith you 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 basically take these and we're going to bring it all together and somehow that's going to lead us towards god and unity but the word of god says it can't be there's only one way and that was through jesus christ it wasn't through a prophet it wasn't through a good man It wasn't even through a patriarch. If that was the case, it could have been Abraham, right? He was the Gentile that basically was the father to all the Jews or the Hebrews, but he was a Gentile. He was an idol worshiper. His dad was an idol maker. Look at who God uses. Why am I bringing this up? Because this is what we're seeing today. And I'm more concerned for the church than I've ever been before. Because when I look out there and I I see the postings on Facebook, or you read the Instagram, or you see what's going on, compromise. Compromise after compromise. Well, we don't want to teach this portion of the word because it might be offensive to somebody. That might be the very thing that saves that person's life, that might be the thing that draws them to Christ. But, But I don't want to be offensive. Friends, Jesus Christ is an offense. He is an offense. We either settle that in our beginning walk with Christ or we're going to find ourselves compromising because it's going to be a bait and switch. Let's get them in and then, oh, by the way, we'll try to give them the gospel. My Bible calls that hypocritical. And specifically Peter wrote about this in the end times in the last days. It says we are going to see more And more of this. This is going to become the new theology. It's already pervasive in the seminaries. I call them cemeteries sometimes. It's already pervasive in the seminaries today because they've already started that. It's all throughout academia. We're not called to be attractors. We're called to stand in truth. It's God that does the work. It's God that draws the man and woman to Christ. We're called to be faithful to give the good news in love and truth. Israel's going to struggle with this for 800 years from this point. From this point of this writing right now, for 800 years, this will be the war that's waged as we go through Numbers, as we go through Deuteronomy, as we study Judges, as we make our way through Kings and Chronicles, we are going to find that over and over again, even Solomon, King David's son Solomon, is going to reestablish high places of worship to Molech after they had been already torn down. It's idolatry. And anything that can take us away from our genuine worship, our genuine loyalty to the living God, anything that can take us from that and bring us to something that's Jesus plus something, a religion, or, oh, by the way, a half-truth, which is a full lie. You're well taught. Praise God. You read the word. That's exactly what Satan did three times, right? When he met Jesus after being baptized, receiving the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit sent him into the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4, and then, half lie, or should I say half truth, half truth, half truth, from his own word. And yet, he wrote the word of God. The nerve that he has. He'll stop at nothing to divide. He'll stop at nothing to devour. So when we go through this tonight, God has given us, and I know it's a long introduction and apology, but this is so foundational to what we understand is it? I am the Lord God. It's his will and his way. And when we can settle that in our hearts, we don't feel like we have to compromise or we have to sort of balance. I'll use that term. He's not asking us to do any of that. He says, where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. Again, he says it. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments once again repeating it. You think it's important? Yes. Which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Obedience is God's standard. Obedience is God's standard. We, we need to hear this in a day that everybody wants political correctness. Everybody doesn't want accountability. And I'm not yelling or trying to be, you know, I, I, I forgive my passion through this. But God wants to set us free and we're never more free than when we're in the will of God. And we're never more free when we're in the grace of God. And when we're in the grace of God, we realize that we want to please God. Because it's a free will choice. It's it's foundational to everything we understand. None of you shall approach anyone... And now we're going to get into some specific things he's going to go to regarding sexual relations. We'll talk about it. He's going to speak about it 17 different times here. None of you shall approach anyone... Who is near of kin, I think you all know what that means, a relative family member, someone like that, to him to uncover his nakedness. Now, that may seem like somebody undressing. This is an idiom, it was a Jewish idiom at the time, and what it was speaking to is sexual relations, you know, immorality that way, inappropriate touching, by the way. All of these things. It's not just sexual intercourse. It's talking about inappropriate touchings, molestation, everything that's going to come from this. We're going to re- read in verses 10 through 18 in a little bit. He's going to sum it up for us in a second. It's going to touch every aspect of relationship here. Now, as we go through this, look, at, I- I'm sensitive to understand that there are people that are here or, or maybe here that have been abused by someone that they trusted, a loved one that abuse them. I, I certainly don't want to in any way uh, restir up those feelings or emotions. I want you to know that Christ, God himself, has given you the greatest gift of all. He has given you the ability to lay that down at the cross and then he will fill that hole in your heart and he will heal and restore you and he will give you that new identity in him. It's only God that can do that. Nothing else can replace that when you've had someone that you've trusted betray you in such a deep way. You might have had an earthly father or mother or relative like that that has just wrecked you, just taken advantage of you. I I don't, certainly nothing is wrong with you. You know that, or you should know that. It's nothing you did to deserve that. God will judge that sin. Vengeance is the Lord's. It's our job to forgive. And I know that's hard. But God will give you the strength to be able to do that too. He says, is near to kin to him to uncover his nakedness. He says one more time, I am the the nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother, you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. In other words, you're not to have relations with your mother. The nakedness of your father's wife, you shall not uncover. It's your father's nakedness. Again, now we see there, it's interesting. Your father's nakedness is also if you go in and have relations with your mother. It it Why? Because they're what? They're one flesh. Remember that? Husbands and wives are one flesh. There's a spiritual uh, beauty that happens within a marriage that way. The nakedness of your father's wife, you shall not uncover. your father's nakedness. nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. Now, I know somebody here is thinking, but wait a minute, Pastor. How do you explain this in regards to the pre-Diluvian period? Well, you know what the pre-diluvian or the antediluvian period was, right? It's the time of the flood. And before the flood, where did Eve come from? She was Adam's you know what? She was from Adam's body, right? So there, there was no cloning there that way. She was a part of Adam. So why is that important? Because from a scientific perspective, I'm sure you understand recessive genes and what have you. If you look at the recessive genes, they 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 had the same. She came from Adam's rib. She came a part of Adam. God's perfect design in that. But then what happened with Cain and Abel? Well, Abel died. But what happened with Cain like that? Who did he marry? Where did Cain get his wife? How many people have heard people that try to stump people with the Bible? Where did Cain get his wife? You see, the Bible can't be trustworthy. No. Well, if you go to Leviticus chapter 18, we see that clearly this is against God's command and law, and he couldn't have done it. So why would God have honored that? No, no, this is after the antediluvian period. God has now come in. Why? Because after that, he married his sister. That, that's what happened at the time. But you didn't have the problems with recessive genes the way you do now. That's why now you're not to marry or have sexual relations with another family because it causes, it can cause deformity or dysfunction within the DNA, within the gene pool. And so God, knowing by this point there had already been enough procreation that there started to be similarity within the gene pool, he said, Stop. Because if you keep doing this, you're gonna—it's gonna enter in problems, birth problems, you know, uh, birth defects, things like that—that that are going to come. God's like, no, 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 don't do this. God's not contradicting Himself. That wasn't there at the time because again, you didn't have the recessive dream—the uh, recessive trait or gene trait problem, you know—because it was—it was right from the source at that point. I'd encourage you to go go read about that if you want to learn more about that. It's very interesting. I mean, I could spend the whole night just talking about it. It's very interesting because so many people get caught up in that, and it's really not that difficult. He married his sister, you know, and they married relatives and family, and then finally they get to this point. They come off the boat, and it says that there were three of them, including Noah and his wife and their wives, and from that, you know, right there, it says that all of humanity was reborn, was created that way. I don't mean reborn like born again. I mean, all of humanity came off the boat. You and I, we're all related. We come from the same gene pool. They just did a scientific study recently, and I I can't remember who it was. It was like one of the Ancestry.coms or the 23andMe or one, one of them. They came back with all their DNA research, with all the great stuff, and they go, you know what we just figured out? It's all a common DNA pool, linked back to one person. You know, or a group of people like that, right? You don't say, my Bible could have told you that I saved you $2 million in research. But isn't it interesting? When you seek in your own heart and your own wisdom how you can be made a fool, but when you come to the word of God and you test everything in light of scripture, you're made wise because God's wisdom is given unto you. Even when we didn't understand it. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. All right, let's continue on here. So that that's sort of just free information. I don't know if you needed that or not, but <laughs> whether born at home or else, whether na- their nakedness you shall not uncover. Verses 10, verse 10, the nakedness of your son's daughter, or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover for theirs is your own nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife, daughter, begotten by your father, she is your sister you shall not uncover her nakedness you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister she is near of kin to your father you shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister for she is near of kin to your mother you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother you shall not approach his wife she is your aunt or aunt or however you prefer you shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law she is your son's wife what are we learning here blood or not blood you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, nor shall you take her son's daughter and her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. All speaking to sexual immorality and sexual relations. They are near to kin to her. It is wickedness. Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister. How'd that work out for Jacob, right? Rachel. Right, Isaac. Think about even that. You know, Jacob in particular. Isaac and what was it um, Rachel and uh, Rebecca? Right or no? Rebecca was uh, Isaac's. It was Leah, Rachel and Leah. How'd that work out with Rachel and Leah? Not so good, right? Wasn't God's design? Wasn't God's design? And you shall not approach a woman to cover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. That's verse nineteen. Let's let's step back ten through eighteen. I went through them pretty quick. Um, And actually, I don't know if I skipped over verse 18, nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister and cover her nakedness while she while they was alive. I made sort of a couple little cheat sheets here for you just to kind of go at a high level if you're taking notes. Look, here's what God said, verses 10 through 18, at a very summarizing or summation. God condemns sexual relations between grandparent and grandchild, whether it's blood, right, or whether it's through marriage. You with me? He condones, or excuse me, he condemns uncles, aunts, nieces, and nephews. He condemns parents and the spouses of children. He condemns siblings, their spouses of their siblings, the children of a spouse, the sibling of a spouse. It's in a violation of God's law to have sexual relations with anyone other than who? Your spouse. This even includes fornication. Any violation... Right? Whether that's by consent, he's going to cover that as we read on. In other words, whether that other person was willing, even though they're a relative, by consent or by force. For those, unfortunately, that have had an abusive situation, God did not condemn that. He was yelling in that person's ear, stop. God never condemned that. I need you to know that's in your word. You need to read that. We just read that. It's not okay. Verses 10 through 18 there. All right, let's move on to verse 19. Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she in her customary impurity, right? So, again, we read similarly when we read Leviticus chapter 15, verse 19. We kind of read that. And what did it require? Remember, chapter 15, verse 19 said they required a ritual washing, Right, That was part of the sort of sacrifice in a quarantine period. If you were going to, as a spouse, you and your spouse, husband and wife, were going to have during her customary impurity, what's that speaking of? Her time of cycle, the month like that. If you were going to have relations during that time, then, then you both were unclean. She was already unclean, but now you've become unclean, and you were to be away and quarantine yourself, and you had to complete a washing sacrifice that way. Like I said, Leviticus 15, 19, we went over that. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife, now we're speaking idolatry and fornication here, to defile yourself. What is defile? It means to make yourself unclean or polluted. You pollute yourself. That's what what it's saying here. You pollute yourself. You defile yourself with her. And this goes back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, when we read about that in the... The Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, right? Not new. And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Okay, some people say Molech's a god. He's not a god. It's more, he's more of a demon, if you want to use it specifically. What is this pagan ritual that not only was in Egypt, but also practiced in Canaan, and later on, even Solomon himself re-erects this. So, what's going on here? Well, some of you may have heard this. Molech... Basically, what happened is this demon, he was uh, created as an idolatrous statue, and he kind of had like grips like arms like this. And what would happen is they would take and they would heat this statue up till it would turn bright red. And then what they would do is they would begin to beat the drums very loud. This is why not all worship music is worship. This is why we have to be very careful with what you hear here, the worship that goes on at this church, the, the lead worshipers, no sign call them worship leaders, the lead worshipers, what they're doing is they're running everything through the grid of scripture to make sure the words that you read that we're singing together, one, they should be vertical. There are some horizontal, but mostly vertical. But number two, are we taking the name of Jesus? I mean, turn on your contemporary worship music now on half of the, you know, not not in Hope FM as an example, but in other Christian channels like that, and you'll hear them talking about, and he did this, and you know, he needs to be worshipped. Who's he? Who's he? It's Jesus. It's God. How about using his name? That's the difference between praise and the difference between worship music. Don't forget, we covered this when we were in Exodus. Who was the first worship leader? Satan. Remember when we read that? We went back. We studied Isaiah. We went back and read it. He was the one that played a string. A string. He, what did he do? As they were coming down, Moses was getting the pattern on top of the mountain there. As Aaron was melting the golden calf, right? Even though he was getting all this laid out for him as a priest, Moses comes down with his assistant there. And as they're making their way down, he looks at him and says, Hey, do you hear that noise? There must be something war breaking out in the camp. And Moses goes, No, there's not No. No, that's racket, I hear. Racket. Some of you have heard your parents say, turn that racket off. Yeah, that's racket. And what was it? He began, he says, what are they doing? What are they? They're playing the drums. You know, they're doing all this. And what are they doing? They're sacrificing to a, a calf with, with Aaron's fingerprints on it. I didn't make that calf. I, I don't know how it got my fingerprints on it. I just, it just came out of the fire that way. To lie before the living God, even though God had already told Moses what Aaron was doing. He knew exactly who was doing that. We have to be careful. There's a difference between praise music, which is like pray, you know, and, and doesn't take the word of God at all, the name of God, compared to true worship, which is meant to join us and bring us into the altar of God where we begin to worship. and re- That's our sacrifice, our offering. Much like there's agape boxes all around the church, you give, you make an offering. That's your form of worship. But that's not your only form of worship. Every time you come in here and you raise your hands or you sing out to the God, what, you sing out to God, what are you doing? You're worshiping. It's not just through your, your giving. It's not just through your love. It's, it's, you're singing unto the Lord. You're giving him all of yourself. Well, we have to be careful. Again, when the days were living, we were seeing these things. These things defile us, right? Well, this idea with Molech, they would begin to beat the drums, and then what they would do is they would take a baby, and they would put the baby in this red-hot statue, and it would burn the baby alive. And because they were playing so much racket, they couldn't hear the baby screaming. How sick and wicked. And God's saying, get away from that. Don't, don't do that. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence that in verse 20 he's defi- he he's bringing this in with carnality, with adultery and then defiling yourself and then quickly he's going right into Moloch, it almost is tying itself to maybe some type of sexual immorality of why they're doing it. Maybe they're committing adultery and they have a child and it's, you know back then they didn't have abortion the way that unfortunately our country has abortion today. So what did they turn around and do? They took the child and they burned the ill, as they would say, not to us, but they would say the illegitimate child, they burned it. But what is it? It's murder. It's the same thing abortion is today. It's just you're not letting the child be born first. So we look at this, and many of us, well, this is wicked. If you went to somebody else and say, hey, is it all right to take a living baby, to go up and heat a statue or whatever it is on hot, turn it red, put the baby in it, and watch that baby consumed with fire? There's coming a time where people will say yes to you. We're, we're living in those days. We're coming to that time. But most people at this point, not most, some, unfortunately. Would say, well, no, that's that, that's horrible. But you just you you. But yet you're pro-abortion. You you support somebody going in and carving up a child in the womb of a mother that God created. You had nothing to do with that. You think you had God did that? God knit that child in that mother's womb. Nobody has the right to determine life or not determine life. God is the only author of life. And so it's okay because they can't see it. The minute that they see it, all of a sudden, oh, well, that's that's different. Well, now he's alive, you know, it must be a bit, yeah. We know so much through these 3D images and scans and everything today. When the little heart begins that conception. Please pray for our country. Pray that we get away from this. Pray that we, Lord, forgive us for what we've done in this land that we return to your word and we no longer murder innocent child children. And look, if there's somebody here that, that was part of an abortion at one time, look, I'm not condemning you. you. If you're born again, believer, there's no condemnation. You've been forgiven. You've been set free. You're not under condemnation anymore. And certainly you shouldn't look upon it and go, well, it was all right. It was never all right. But you've been forgiven and it's been covered by the blood of the lamb. It's no longer seen. It's not there. Praise God. There is no combination. Well, so we see this is what was going on. And and, and again, verse 20 and 21 seem to be tied together because it wasn't just bringing this baby, but it kind of almost speaks to this legitimacy of child. And it was the way that they were dealing with it. He says, I am the Lord, nor shall you profane the name of God. I am the Lord. What do you mean you profane the name of God? When you take and you stop disrespecting life, you're profaning the name of God. When you no longer value human life, you've profaned the name of God because he is the author of all human life. He's created everything because he is the Lord and he's the one. That's why I said we began chapter 18. What is the premise established? I am the Lord your God. You belong to me. You're not going to follow the world. That's the right premise. We've gotten so far away from that. Not us, but the The world. And unfortunately, some of the church. You shall not, verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. We've talked about that in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Homosexuality. It is sin. It is abomination. There's nowhere in your Bible that's going to say, we need to be tolerant to homosexuality. God loves this. How would I put this? God loves the individual committing the sin. He does not love the sin. He hates the sin. And he's called us to behave appropriately. That we are to love that individual. We may be the only person that loves them to Christ. If everybody just walked away from them, how are they going to hear the gospel? Granted, we talked about it in Romans chapter two that you know everybody, verse 15, has a conscience and it was given by God that way. And all of creation testifies chapter one. I understand that, but he has entrusted you and I. He's given us the privilege to give the gospel of Christ to everyone. But we're never called, and he puts it right here very clearly, an abomination. That means a detestable act in the Hebrew. It means a detestable act. He says it is a detestable act. In Romans chapter 1, 24, in the New Covenant, he says the same thing. and no way are we to condone the sin. And no way are we to turn around and say, well, it's not really a sin. No, it is a sin. We just had a, a music singer recently go on a show, uh, Ellen or whatever it was, and began to do a, a song, and everybody started, you know, what are you doing? When you were asked the question, if you think homosexuality, you kind of, what did you do? Why didn't you stand on the word of God? And everybody's beating her up right now, I'm sure of it. And all the Christians are going, see? How about somebody coming alongside her and going, hey, you know, I, gosh, I can't imagine all the pressure you have coming on you right now. You know, your people are asking you to sing these concerts and to be... Every- can we open our Bible together? You're, you're a born-again believer in Christ, right? You, you've accepted Jesus. Hey, can we open to Leviticus? Would you, would you mind going to chapter 18, verse 22 with me? Turn your Bible around. What's this mean to you? It's an abomination. What's an abomination? Well, it's, I'm glad you asked. It's a detestable thing unto the Lord. Well, that, that was in the old covenant, surely. I'm so glad you're curious about this. Turn with me to Romans chapter, not literally us, Romans chapter one, verse 24. Paul, to a Rome, to a church he had never been, it's in the new covenant over and over again, Corinthians as well. I never saw that before. Praise God. Now what do you do with it? Do you stand on the word of God or do you compromise? Friends, that's, that's my suggestion. That's what Christ did. Christ didn't avoid sinners. He ate with sinners. But he didn't turn around and compromise. He didn't find the woman caught in adultery and say, oh, you know, I know you're, it's, things are tough. You're doing what you need to do. No. He says, go sin no more. He says, where are your accusers? He says, go sin no more. He didn't condone the sin, but he loved her. He loved her in the most pure and righteous way because he saw who she is and who she could be in Christ. And that's how he sees every single unbeliever, who they are and could be in Christ, and he's got a perfect love for them. But they have to respond. They've been given an invitation. They have to respond to the gospel. If they don't, it's a decision that carries eternal consequences. It's an abomination And we're going to read later on in chapter 20 what happens when you break God's commandments. And specifically to the homosexual, what it carries out is a death penalty. It's capital crime. Now, wait a minute. Does that mean we get signs and we go out and say, kill the homosexual? Never. Never. Jesus didn't do that. Homosexuality wasn't a new practice. Like I said, you know, when he walked the earth two thousand years ago, it wasn't. It's one of the oldest professions. You know, he. No, we read about Rahab. She's even listed in the genealogy. God didn't run away from it. He was happy when she was saved out of it. That's what our God does. He redeems. He sets free. We got to be careful. We don't become an impartial or a judge. And impartial. We got to be so God our, our hearts. There's colleges right now, right now voting on whether homosexuality should be practiced on campus. So there's a campus not too far from here. We have some of the college students come in, and, and they, they've been sharing with some of the things that are going in student student body, board, whatever you want to call it, on whether they want to define homosexuality as something that God allows. No, call yourself a public university. Don't call yourself a Christian college. Don't do that. You know, you're just creating confusion and division. Nor shall you mate with any animal. This is the idea of bestiality here. To defile, once again, we see this idea of defile. It pollutes us. It uncleans us yourself with it. Nor shall a woman stand before an animal and mate with it. It is Perversion right so what did he cover here in this in this little area of sexual morality in these last few verses he covers not only adultery he covers fornication he covers homosexuality he talks about the carnality which means he covers pedophilia he covers every sexual immoral carnal practice in these few verses and they're all abominations don't shy away friends If you know somebody that's living in a homosexual lifestyle, somebody that's a pedophile, somebody that's, you know, and they claim to be a born-again believer, go up and open your word in love, not in an argument or a debate, but go up and love them. Invest in their lives so you earn the right to speak truth into their lives and draw them to Christ. Christ. And if they choose not to believe, you don't know what's going to happen with that seed you planted. You don't know; it could be many years. They, you know, because there's the average homosexual life um, partner relationships over 500, right? They have over six different relationships within one given year. There's no such thing as monogamy and homosexuality. That's it's it's almost cult-like in its behavior. People that are in it are searching for acceptance somewhere, whether they felt like they were born that way or whether they felt like they became it, whatever the reason, it doesn't matter. What does matter is to draw them to Christ and Christ can set them free. There are people that are born that think they should go out and murder people. A Ted Bundy, you know, who started with practices in pornography and, and, and it became, you know, it started and then it builds and it builds because they need something to push that adrenaline. It had to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Uh, Focus on the Family did a study on that. James Dobson actually went in and interviewed him if you ever want to go look it up. You can go to Focus on Family and read that article. And he says, you know, when I come back to it, he goes, it was the perversion. It was sexual immorality. When I come back today, it began when I began to be enticed by that, and then I needed something more. So it became horrible things and more horrible things to finally killing people. But do you think somebody starts that way? What if somebody would have come up to him and invested in his life and said, brother, that, you know what? Where are you at? What's going on? What's what's fighting with you? Obviously the flesh and the old man, but, but what's going on? The enemy. Let me tell you about somebody that, that died for you. And maybe people did. I don't know. But we can't quit because there's a lost and dying world, there's a perverted world out there, there's a world that's engrossed in sexual morality in your homes, it's coming in on your TVs, it's coming in on your internet, it's coming in on your kids' devices. It's coming in on your kids' video games. It's coming in on your video games. And oh, by the way, it's not just men. It's women. I was just reading the latest study. Women. Now women are more likely or just as likely as men to commit adultery because they're looking for something in their marriage to give them a a sense of feeling of um, excitement because what they thought about being a holy wife became very common. Became sort of, I take care of my husband. I take care of the kids. Is this all life has to offer? How sad. They, they begin to believe a lie from the devil, from the pit of hell. They begin to believe that and they start to pray. And you know what? Almost, it was a beautiful article. Almost, um, I would say it was like 40% of them come back into counseling. And when they do come back, do you know what they say? I wish I never would have took that step. I wish I never would have done this. What was I thinking? I hurt more people. Than I actually did anything in my heart. That joy or that rush I thought I was going to get wasn't worth it because the amount of damage I've done, the families I've broken up, the damage to the children, the damage to other people, the workplace, everywhere else. You know what they do? They become to others focused. And they began to realize their actions and their sin affects everyone. Sin affects everyone. That's what the Bible teaches. That's why God says, Be holy, for I am holy. Be set apart. Don't run to sin. Run away from it. Don't be enticed by it. It defiles you, right? It's unclean and it pollutes you. And the only thing that can clean that pollution is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can set you free. Turn to Christ. And, and I say this now, if somebody's on the radio or the web, or they hear, or there's somebody here, if you struggle with a homosexual lifestyle, please come into the church. We would love to sit and talk with you. I'd love to go through scripture and explain how much Jesus Christ loves you and how he wants to set you free, how he doesn't want you to be chained to this lifestyle where you're constantly looking for a new mate to find your identity or value. God has already given you the the primo value. He looks at you higher than anything else. He loves you right where you are. And he wants to set you free. He's died for you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to cleanse your mind. He wants to restore order and stability to you. He might even have a a godly man or a woman of the opposite sex for you. Because God's a restorer. Jesus wants, to if, you, if you're hearing this and you're stuck, please call the church. Please come in. We want to sit down. We want to pour over the scriptures. We're not going to turn you away. We're not going to call you names. We're not going to judge you. Sin is sin. Pick the flavor. It's sin. We're not going to compromise. But we're going to draw you back to the truth, which I promise you will set you free. It's the only thing that will. So He says, do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all these things, the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. Why is he casting them out? Why is he casting out the Canaanites? Because they are defiled. They too became unclean and polluted. Do you see that? And he says, and therefore I'm casting them out from before you. It was because of sin. For the land is defiled. Therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it. And the land vomits out its inhabitants. Isn't that a picture? You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and you shall not commit any of these abominations, any of these detestable acts, either any of your own nation or a stranger who dwells among you, for all these abominations the men of the land which have done, who have were before you, and thus the land is defiled. He's going to talk about how he uses judgment against sin. He's going to use Israel to defeat and displace Israel part of his judgment. Verse 28, lest the land vomit you out also. Isn't that interesting? And isn't that exactly what happens? 800 years later, from the time after the kingdom gets established, you're going to have a Babylonian invasion. Just think about that in Judah. And even before that, you had the Assyrian invasion in the 700s. 586 BC was the Babylonian invasion. Really started in 605 with the first group that went over to Babylon. Isn't that exactly what happened? The land vomited them out. Why? Because God used the Babylonians and the Assyrians to bring judgment against them because what did they do? They defiled the land. They defiled themselves with sin. God means what he says and he says what he means. You know, pray for our country. We're ripe for judgment. With the amount of a. Abortions, the homosexual marriage that our Supreme Court just passed—we are ripe for judgment. And he has hold; he has put his hand on that pause button. But you know what? We're, we're winding down on that time. It may be one more term; it may not. But everything that we understand—I'm telling you, friends—prophetically, test everything in the light of Scripture. I'm not saying, "Thus saith the Lord." But that next administration, you are going to see it go this way. It is going to swing so aggressively. And what you thought Barack Obama, whether you liked him or not, whatever you thought of those policies, it's going to go from this to all, man, it is going to go so far in that other direction. You are going to see things. And, and you know, Bernie Sanders, the guys like Bernie Sanders, like, I want to give away everything for free. Look, I like free stuff too, but somebody's going to pay a price. It, nothing is truly free, it has to come from somewhere. Wherever you come from on that. I mean, look, I'm not saying I don't agree with free tuition. I, look, I'm not getting political. My point of what I'm saying is something has to pay for these things. And it's it's going to come to a point where it affects small business, medium business, large. It's what we saw already. It's what we're going to see again. But it's going to be far worse. And then you're going to see our borders weakened. And then you're going to see not what they're worried about an illegal immigrant. No, no, no. What you're going to see is you're going to see terrorist acts again, like we're seeing in Europe, Paris, and all around right now, because there's a tolerance. And within that tolerance, then we don't want to have guns or right to bear arms or any way to protect ourselves. So we've basically committed, uh, you know, you think what Nazi you know, Nazi Germany did by basically going through, and one of the things they did is took all the Bibles and all the books and tried to dumb down a population... Next thing you do is you you arm a population, and then what happens? You massacre a population. Friends, if you haven't figured this out already, we're on the hit list. Christians are on the hit list. We're in offense. The sooner we can get out of here, the better for everybody in the world, because we're the ones that are coming back and going. It's wrong. For abortion. It's wrong for homosexual marriage. It's wrong. It's wrong. This is wrong. You're to love yourself, you know, love others, excuse me, as yourself. You're to love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. When we're raptured out of here, why do you think it's after these things in chapter 4 of Revelation that the church is raptured out and the Holy Spirit's removed his hand? That that's when the great tribulation begins. Because the hand that has held everything in order, that has been a sustainer, is removed. And when that Holy Spirit hand has been removed like that, it's chaos. It's gonna be anarchy. And we're already seeing the taste of that in Europe. I'm not trying to frighten anybody. Look, my forefathers from Italy or from Holland or wherever they left their they wanted to come here for a better life. And I don't think there's anything wrong with people wanting to come to our country legally for a better life. I think it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> but we want to now be more like Europe. Have you checked what's going on economically? I didn't mean this to turn into a prophecy update. Have you checked on what's going on in Europe right now? I mean, Italy, bankruptcy. Greece, bankruptcy. If they weren't bailed out, Paris is right there. And yet, we're going to be a socialist country? How's that end? It doesn't end well. There's nothing new under the sun. But it's all part of the plot It's all part of the war that's being waged before us. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm simply presenting to you what scripture says will happen. They'll be given over to debased and reprobate minds. They will practice law according to their ideas. They will make themselves lords. They will use a humanist movement to do it. They will turn around and raise up antichrist, plural, not the antichrist, the spirit of antichrist. And we're already seeing that. And how did I get off of that from the vomit of the land? The point is, is that if we don't repent and we don't get on our knees and turn back and say, God, forgive us, we are headed exactly where Israel was headed. God has been so good to us in this country. And that's because we've supported Israel. Genesis 12, those who love Israel and bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be cursed. But it's changing we can even see it now at the college professors. Now there was a college professor recently had a swastika put, in. he was a Jewish professor, Had a, in his personal office, his personal space where he studies, somebody had the nerve to go in there and put a swastika. But everybody's not hearing about that. They're not doing a massive investigation to find the person that did that, to have them removed from campus. But if he would have proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ... And he would have wrote, "Jesus, you all need Jesus. You're not look. You're you're not politically correct. We need to ask you to leave." I'm just pointing out to what is happening and what is obvious. We are in the last days. We need to be moving with the gospel to to get this out, and we need to be repentant, lest the land vomit you out when you defile it, as vom- vomited out the nations that were before you. This isn't new. This isn't the first time, and it's not going to be the last. God used Israel to defeat and displace. He used them for their judgment. In verse 29, for, whatever commit, for whoever commits any of these abominations, the person who commits them shall be cut off from among the people. Therefore, you shall keep my ordinances so that you do not commit any of these abominations. Why am I giving you these rules, these statutes, these ordinances? To keep you from sin to keep you in my will, to protect you so that you're not kicked out of the land and the land doesn't have to vomit you out and that you don't defile yourselves before them. Again, I am the Lord, your God. Now we're going to be moving into 19 here with our time left this evening. 15 different times. We see, I am the Lord chapter 19 alone, these ordinances. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. This is where it begins. Now he's bringing in, not only am I the Lord your God, but I, and he said this before, this isn't his first time, but he says, I am holy. You need to be holy like me. You need to be set apart. Don't follow. Don't follow what the world's doing. Be anything but what the world's doing. Don't try to be a church that you attract the world. Be a church that looks different from the world. Be a respite, be a city of refuge that people can come in and hear truth because they're searching for truth. Don't apologize for that. Don't try, to, don't try to do things to make your numbers increased. We don't do. We've never done that here. In three short years, we've been meeting on Sundays. It was just three years in December. Uh, it'll be the 13th. It'll be three years. Hasn't been long. And what the Lord's done, we, we, because God does it. God adds unto the church daily. Acts chapter 2. God adds unto the church daily. But there's so many people that are trying to entice and entice and entice. No more. Stay away from that, friends. God got nothing to do with that. Every one of you shall revere, I love this, his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths. 14 times he'll send, he'll say this: I am the Lord your God. Keep your respite, keep your relationship first. Keep your Shabbat with me. And everyone shall revere his father and mother. He's going to talk about what happened when you didn't. And I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't be here. When you cursed your mother and father, you were to be stoned to death. You were to, it, was a, it was a capital crime. I wouldn't be here, man. Praise God for his grace. Verse 4, do not turn to the idols, nor make yourselves molded gods. I bet he had Aaron in mind. Again, 800 years later, I'm going to do that. I am the Lord your God, and if you sacrifice... If you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. Right? He's not looking for robots. He wants free will. Remember the peace offering? What was beautiful about that? It was one of those it was the only offering where God, the priest, and the worshiper came together. And they each partook of that offering together. It was koine, it was fellowship. You see, fellowship in relationships has always been about free will. We've always had the ability to respond to Christ or harden our hearts. It shall be eaten the same day you offered on the next day, and if any remain until the third day, it shall be burned with fire. You don't have to tell me that without refrigeration. I'm not going after it. I'm letting it go, man. Think about that. You know it stank. So what's he, I mean, he's saying, look, get rid of it. And if you have eaten on the third day, it's an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord. He misused the relationship. He misused the peace offering. He abused it. He took it for granted. It'll be there the next day. It'll be there three days later. I don't have time right now, God, to worship you. I don't have time to spend time in your word. I don't have time to be with you. You'll be there tomorrow. You'll be there the next day. You you profaned it, a hallowed offering to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. Worship is God's standard. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. Now, this isn't an enablement of welfare. What did he say here? He said, you leave... For those that are able to do what? Come and glean. You still had a responsibility. You still got up, providing you could, and you weren't disabled. You got up, and you went out, and you gleaned. The Bible says in the Proverbs that if a man won't work or isn't willing. Now, again, there's times where, you know, certainly we've had situations, and praise God that there's those Nets to help us in those times where we need them. You know what I mean? Where there's a time you need it, praise God for those nets, okay? But, but what we're talking about here is someone willingly playing the system, right? That, that's not scriptural. That's not right. What God says if, in the Proverbs, if you want to eat, you ought to work. He says, a fool won't even bring up the spoon to his own mouth. And he should do what? Starve. Not my word. But he says, look, I'm going to provide. I'm going to provide for those that are poor. I'm going to provide for those in need. But it's up to them to get up and walk out and to take what I've gleaned. And, and you know what a beautiful picture of this is? Ruth did this. Remember, ladies, in your time when you were studying the book of Ruth at the woman's, uh, on your woman's study on the second, Wednesday, uh, second Saturdays of the month, you went through the book of Ruth. Where did she meet Boaz? What was she doing? She was gleaning from his field and he saw that and he looked at her and he noticed her. Oh, and he redeemed him as a kinsman, redeemed her as a kinsman's redeemer, right? Ruth chapter two, verses two and three. And you shall not glean your vineyard and you shall not glean your vineyard nor shall you gather every grape of of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Who's the provider? God is our provider. Every single time. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. So we're going to go through this passage, really, verses 11 through 18. is going to all be about love your neighbor as yourself. It's going to point right back to Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. But I'm going to read through it, and then I'll just quickly go through the list for you. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. In other words, honest dealings. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of the God. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. I am the Lord. We see respect and compassion there. It's sad that God has to put this in here. But he knows the hearts. He knows the fickleness of man's heart. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not defy, uh, not be a partial to the poor. And this is interesting. God's saying you're not to be a respecter of persons, nor honor the persons of the mighty. You don't look on a person because of their economic status. You're to be indifferent of that. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor, right? Fruit inspector. You shall not go about as a talebearer. that's a gossiper or a slander kind of almost imply the name tailbearer. You're taking a tail and you're bearing it forward. Among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. In other words, you're to not deal with false manners, right? First Thessalonians 4, talks about that. We're not to deal falsely with a brother, or especially when it has to do with the, the, you know, capital punishment of a life sentence. And then in regards to the false matters, Exodus chapter 23, 7, you know, you're not to take a bribe. Deuteronomy chapter 27 Verse 25, he says, Among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. And if you want to read more about that, Proverbs 11, 13, um, 18, 8, and uh, chapter 20, verse 19 in the Proverbs all talk about that. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor, and you shall not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance. Romans chapter 12 and 19 tells us what? Vengeance. And he reads back and he points back. Vengeance is the Lord's, right? You shall not bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbors as yourself. And why? Because I'm the Lord, he said. (laughs) It's good enough for me. Ephesians 5.29 tells us that no one hates their own flesh. You know, we're living in the last days because in 2 Timothy 3, 2, it says that in the last days, they will be lovers of themselves. It will be selfishness, not selflessness. And aren't we living in a time when it's all about me, me, me? I mean, literally, even corporations, they have these 360 reviews and you literally have to blow your own trumpet to get a raise. This is what I've done. I'm such a great person. Meanwhile, It's you and 10 other people that are working together in a team collaboratively and you're a great team and the company's blessed because they have you and you're being faithful and the company's getting blessed because of that. But don't bring up the teammates. They want to know what you did. It's all about, it's all conditioning. It's all conditioning. Men will be lovers themselves. 2 Timothy 3.2. It says, vengeance is the Lord. So, Really quickly as we go through, because of our time here, um, we're going to finish at the end of uh, 19 here, or I might actually just stop midway here. But just really quick for you. So so we can kind of, what's he saying? Verse 11, do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Verse 12, do not swear falsely by the name and so profane the name of God. I am the Lord. Verse 13, do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Don't hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Verse 14, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God, I am Lord. You think this is funny. There are people that do this, I've seen it. They will literally, somebody that's blind and or deaf, and because they want to go and sit in a, a service, you know what they'll do? They'll pick them up and they'll bring them to a park. And because they can't hear or see, they think, you know what, not a big deal, right? You know, what do we do with those that are less fortunate? Are we looking to be the ones that lay our lives down to make sure they're not ill-treated? How are we serving? What is God showing us about that? Verse 15, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly or be a fruit inspector. Do not go about spreading slander among people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. He says, I'm the Lord verse 17 do not hate your brother in your heart rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share his guilt be real be transparent don't be a you know a person that tries to earn favor with everybody people pleaser you're going to try to please someone who are you going to please jesus or man you're going to choose that Verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I am the Lord. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus Christ took it even further. Thank you, Jesus, for exegesis. Luke chapter 6, verse 27, what did he say? It was a great commandment, really. It's hard to love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yeah, but this passage says, you know what? You need to love your enemies. That's who your neighbor is. Just in case Pharisee and Sadducee, you're confused about who we're talking about here, your enemy, that's your neighbor. Oh, man. I can love people that love me. But when people hate me and want to kill me or ridicule me, what is God saying? He's saying, oh, that's a person, perfect person for you to love. Love on them. Go get them. You shall keep my statutes, and you shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. This is going to get, I'll explain in a minute. You're going to get like, "What well, where did we come to this for? You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment be of mixed linen and wool come upon you. This was tied to the practice of the pagan customs of that day, right? So what he's saying is you're not to turn around and mix the pagan practice in with traditions and, uh, not traditions, pardon me, the ordinances of God. Now, certainly this isn't an issue today because we don't walk around and have the same pagan practice tied to wearing wool. If you're wearing a wool sweater, praise the Lord. Enjoy your wool sweater. It may make you a little itchy, but you enjoy it, right? The point is it's not in the context. It's not like you put on a wool sweater and go, he's a pagan. Nobody thinks that. Nobody's looking at that. today. If you wear linen mixed with figure it out, you're okay, right? Some of us prefer all cotton. That's fine. He's talking about livestock, seed, and fabric. Whoever lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a man. Now, this is interesting. This is a free man, and she's a concubine. Okay, a concubine in that time would have been a slave girl. Again, this wouldn't apply to us today. We don't have slave girls that way. But if she was with a free man, and she was uh, engaged to him, so to speak, and she turned around, and she willingly had relations with another man, normally that would be the death sentence but because she was a slave what god is saying he says no there's a price that needs to be paid because she one belongs to someone else that way she's you know been she's decided to serve her life to pay off a debt or whatever the situation was um no we don't kill her so god's kind of coming back and giving specifics. He says, whoever lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a free man or a man as a concubine, again, a slave girl, and who has not at all been redeemed nor given her freedom. In other words, she's still in... in, um, slavery that way, for this there shall be a scourging. Now we're not told what this is in the Hebrew. This isn't the same word for scourging as we would use in the Septuagint or the Greek uh, for what happened to Christ. We, we really don't know what this is actually, but they shall not be put to death because she was not free. No death penalty, and he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord to the door of the tabernacle, meeting a ram as a trespass offering. The priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering before the Lord for his sin, which is his, which he has committed, and the sin which has been committed shall be forgiven him. So they have to commit a sacrifice, atonement, because they've sinned. When you come into the land and you have planted all kinds of trees for food. Then you shall count their fruits as uncircumcised three years. It shall be as uncircumcised to you, but it shall not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. And in the fifth year, you finally get it. You may eat its fruit that it may yield to you an increase. I am the Lord your God. I'm not sure why. As I read that and I went back and I checked some of the scholars, there were a lot of different ideas on why they said that. Well, could the seed of the fruit, because it would be a, you know, not properly germinated yet, it was small and insignificant, was that I, don't, I couldn't find a reliable scholar that I felt comfortable saying, uh, matter of fact, this is what I see. In the Hebrew, I don't get enough from the original Hebrew language that's telling me how this is being used. It, it reads just like it reads. To me, if I think of it from a spiritual sense, is what God is saying is like anything else. When that first seed gets planted, it takes time to germinate. Just what happens in sanctification in us. There's a process. We don't get saved and then stop drinking or doing drugs the same day. It might take a day or two or maybe a week or whatever it is. God works that out in us. And then after a time, we do what? He says, Romans chapter 12, our bodies are to be a living sacrifice. Then we realize what full surrender means to be a disciple of Christ, to really understand discipleship. So we become a discipleship and we're truly surrendered. And we're all in. And then finally we begin to live our life according to God's will and purpose. But it's a process. And I, I could think that this is the process that was being pointed out to us here. You be bereams about that. In verse 26, you shall not eat anything with blood, Again, going back to the pagan practices. Nor shall you practice divination. So what is that? So that's, you know, magic or spells or witchcraft. Or saying, what is that? That's fortune-telling, demonic and occult. Anything to do with that. Stay far away from it. Go nowhere near it. You shall not shave... Uh, sorry, for soothsaying... Um, and also that's to know the will, fortune-telling, horoscopes. Do you know that some of the most prestigious magazines you can buy or even TV guides, you can turn to the back of them, and you know what's in there? Horoscopes. <laughs> Do you know that there were Wall Street traders when I used to be a J.P. Morgan, and I used to many, many years ago, and I worked in ITS, Asset Management Services, for them, and I can remember as an economics guy, and I can remember going through, and I, literally there would be subscriptions to a magazine that was about, you know, I think at that time, probably 150, something like that a month. They'd have that, and right in that magazine on the back page, do you know what you'd turn? These are traders. It would say, this month, such and such moon, so be careful with grain. I'm not kidding. This was in magazines. I remember, I thought to myself, $200 a month. Now, granted, there were economic articles and things like that in there, but it actually had that in there, and people would talk about it. I'd hear it on the Metro North, the train when I took the train into the city. I'd hear them talking about it. You know, it's called commodities trading, if you're familiar with it. But, but they were looking at this, and, and this is what it's taught. I said, this has nothing to do with that. It's not for fun. You don't go near it. You don't go near fortune telling. You don't go near horoscopes. You don't go near divination. You don't deal with magic. You don't deal with any of that. Now, we're not talking about illusionists, which is somebody that goes, you know, right? We're not, well, that's not what he's talking about here, right? Somebody that pulls something out of your hat. What he's talking about is really somebody that's practicing witchcraft or spells, because under the context of magic, that's what it meant. Sorcery, witchcraft, that type of thing, because that's what the Canaanites and the Egyptians practiced. Remember when he was delivering, God was delivering them out of Egypt? What were they doing? They were doing the very same things. They were doing magic the same way in that context. And what were they doing? They throw down a rot. What'd they do? They threw down a rod. They were practicing magic. And God says, you don't do that. You don't go back to the old ways and you don't practice the new ways of the Canaanites. Okay? And then he says, you shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. You got that? What's he saying here? This, again, if you go back and read the customs of that day. He's saying you don't imitate the pagan practices that are being practiced. And people were doing this. Typically, the Jewish who would have seen it, would, the curl would have had that, and that would have been a good Jewish boy, and he would have had that, and that's the way he would have looked, and his, his beard would have been shaped that way. You're not to turn around and go into this land and start to do those things. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead... That's the key there. Please under, please circle that. For the dead. So this is talking about practices for the dead. What he's talking about. Because some of you in here are going, wait a minute. Uh-oh. What's that next thing say? It's talking tattoos, man. Tats, what's going on? Is that a sin? Let's keep everything in context. He says what? He says, you shall... Let me go back to this. Yeah, you shall not make any cuttings in your flesh. Again, this is pagan. So what they would do is maybe make a cutting to Molech or different things like that to turn, earn favor. You know, try to earn favor with these pagan idols. And so what he says then is he says, cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Now that word tattoo, certainly you can exegete it in the Hebrew and it can mean a mark. It can mean marks like that or or images, but it can also mean gross cutting of skin. Gross cutting of skin, it can also mean. What do I think God is saying here? Because God's very clear and he's not grammatically challenged. And again, in the original language, it's very clear. There's a comma. So what he's saying is all in context of the dead, that when it comes to worshiping the dead calling upon the dead because he's then going to go into it in a little bit where he's going to talk about mediums and things like that so he's speaking about this in this context right now he's saying you're not to put markings on your body like a 666 or something like that to worship an idol like lucifer you're not to you're not to do these things that's what he's talking about that's the context here Right now, I'm I just I'm just teaching it in context. That's what it says here, and that's or you're not to cut your skin. You're not to have a gross cutting of a skin that way, and that's what he says for the dead. You can you can see it yourself there, verse 29. Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot, lest they, the land fall into harlotry and the land become full of wickedness. He's saying stop with the rituals, stop with the temple prostitution, which is exactly what the Canaanites practiced. Don't you do it. You shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Where you go in to meet with God should be holy. You should be able to sit down and hear from God's word. There should be a holiness to that. There should be an order to that, right? Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. He's talking about pagan contact with the occult. You can remember even... You know, um, the first king of Israel, what did he turn around and do? Saul, he went and tried to have the prophet raised up, right? He wanted to speak to the dead because he wanted divination. He wanted fortune telling. He wanted soothsaying. He says, I'm the Lord your God. Don't contact dead people. It's demonic. I know there's people that have done that, maybe even here. They've gone to a seance or somebody's died and they wanted to hear. Do you know what's happening at that moment? You're not speaking to your loved one you're speaking to a demon, and that demon is impersonating your loved one. Why? Because the demons, at least the world is somewhere between five to 6,000 years, if you believe in a young earth, which I believe the Bible teaches. That means, oh, by the way, demons aren't pushed out like a cookie machine. You're not, and they're just kind of, it said what? That angels were created, right? And then, oh, by the way, how many of them fell? A third of this is a study of angelology if you look at it from a systematic theology perspective. There's not a machine up there in which God is like, doo, 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 like, you know, cookie images. He did it. All the angels were created. And each angel that says, and we can study this sometime where we go through and we look, there were enough angels created for every person that would ever live. So start to think about the th- the third of those amount of angels that now fell. And what are they? Demons, principalities and powers that we wage war with. We're not talking about one. Most of you will never, ever have Satan himself visit you. No, no offense, you're all important people, and I get that. But he is dealing with world leaders. He's dealing with, you know, the guy in the room that he's whispering, you know, into the ear. Everyone else, man, it's demonic. It's demons. It's all, you know, it's the principalities and powers, chains of command, just like there's chains of command in angels, archangels, Michael over Israel. There's the same thing in the demonic realm. ultimately, what we, when we study this, when we begin to start to understand, because they're not being created anymore and they were already created, that means that it could be a billion or more. It has to be a bit more than a billion. It could be many billion because it would be life that ever lived, not you know every generation. It would be already there. So just start doing the math. Don Richardson, remember he wrote the book Peace Child I was talking about. He also wrote a book on this, an angelology. He went back and he started beginning to count what it would be a number. And I forget whether it was a trillion, It's such a large number. But these fallen angels, these demons, right? What he's talking about here is that they've studied you. They've studied me. How many people have heard of the screw tape letters? You know, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, some of you in here. How many people got wrecked after they read that book, right? I can remember I was in New York City. I read that book. I was like, oh. Right? Because I never thought about that before until C.S. Lewis was like, go to your Bible. Read about these things. Huh. That ain't good. Turn the light on. No, I'm <laughs> No, but do so you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I mean, it's real, right? So you look at this. Well, that's why they study you. So when people say, well, how do they know, the, how do they know what my sweet Aunt Susie liked as her favorite cookie or, or whatever? Because for 5,000 years, they've been studying humanity. They know your tick. You ever seen people play poker at a casino? I hope you say no. If you ever have, they have a tick. People have a tick. You can watch. You can people watch. And you begin to see patterns and things like that. Well, demons are no different. They've been watching you your whole life. They know what you do and what you don't do. They know what you. What's the the easy button of sin for you? They know what to entice you with. Now you don't need to be afraid of any of that because Jesus Christ says you have victory over all that. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to pay attention to any of that. He says, "Put on the armor of God and stand." In Ephesians chapter six, verses eleven through seventeen. But we'd be ignorant, brothers and sisters, if we didn't acknowledge it. Right? Ephesians tells us about that. Right? Principalities and powers. It's a battle for the mind. It's not a battle of blood. It's not a waging of war. They're not trying to hurt you. They want you to sin. They want you to go away from God and not bring glory to God. That that's the purpose here. So so when we see these mediums, I please stay away from this. It's all demonic. There is no good medium. There is no angel medium. It's all demonic and it's being practiced in our schools. In our public school, they have Satan clubs. They have demonic clubs. They have all of this. It's happening today. Please stay away from it. Do not seek after them to be them. I am the Lord your God. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of the old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. How many big gray-headed I love that verse. Right? Wisdom to that. What happened to that? What happened to the reverence we had for folks as they begin to get wiser in their age? You know, even in other countries, one thing they do, right? Billy Joel. How many people have heard of Billy Joel? He wrote a song. It was called Vienna Waits for You. And it was about his mother. I'm in no way endorsing Billy Joel. I'm in no way endorsing his music. What I'm getting at is even he began to understand the principles. He watched his mother go over to Vienna, and he was watching her. And he began to see what happened in this country, that when people were getting old, they just put them in homes. They put them away. Now, there's times you need to go into assisted living, and certainly that's appropriate. But not just to ever throw anybody away, because they're of no use to you anymore. And if you listen to the, carefully those words of that song, he's saying, look, Vienna waits for you. When my basically his mom went over there, she took a broom, and she would have a little patch of sidewalk. And every day she went out and took her broom. And she swept her sidewalk. So that as people would walk by, they didn't trip. There wasn't debris. She made it look as nice and invi- inviting as people. If they would maybe want to come up and have a, you know, a glass of lemonade. There was purpose and there is purpose. Europe has got some of that. Italy, you know, Latin America, they have that idea. In America, we've lost that. A lot of our cultures have lost that idea that when folks are getting, all oh, they precious to sit down with somebody twice your years, three times your years, and just ask them, why do you do what you do? And the wisdom that will be poured into you. Oh! I used to love when my grandfather, who was from Italy, Una Charita to be specific, he would come in, and he would sit down, and he'd pull out a stick of pepperoni or prosciutto and he would cut it up and I'd say, Grandpa, no, no, in Italian, why do you do this? And he would tell me working at the Fish actor. he would tell me when he was in a concentration camp, he would tell me about his time in a concentration camp where he got a dollar a day in his meals. He told me what it was like when he came to New York at first and he couldn't speak any English and he went to work in a salt mine because that was the only place that they'd bring him. He explained things to me that I began at a young age not to have this entitlement, but to understand that I would work like my grandfather did. And if it meant I had to do anything, work at selling toothpicks, work at cleaning up refuge, it didn't matter. Because to have a job was honorable. And to work with your hands or your mind was honorable. And you could go home and look at your wife or your children, and you could have honor because you're passing down a work ethic. We've lost all that because it's an attack on the family. We're way over. Whew. And if a stranger dwells with you in your land and you shall not mistreat them, the stranger knows I kept going. Your stranger dwells among you, you shall be. To you, as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord. God expects Israel and us today to respect him, his statutes and ordinances. You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. You shouldn't cook the books. You don't cook the books. You shall not. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, and an honest ephah. Ephah. And an honest hymn, I am the Lord your God. Those are containers to measure of. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt. There you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord your God. Go ahead and read ahead in chapter 20. What you're going to read about is now the execution of these. So when they go to, or maybe execute is the wrong word. The capital punishment for the offenses of not following what God just laid out in chapter 19. The judgment. Maybe a better way to put it. Go ahead and read in chapter 20. And uh, please read through chapter 21 as we look at the contact um, of the priests as well. And then we're getting, boy, 22, 23, 24. So one, two, three. We probably have four more teachings in the book of Leviticus. And then we're going to be into the book of Numbers. And remember, for the first half of the book of Numbers, where are they still? They're still at Mount Sinai. They haven't gone in the promised land. They haven't made that journey. They're still at Mount Sinai and they're still receiving this. Amen? Let's stand and pray and let's pray for travel mercies and God to turn back the clock for us. A little sleep tonight. Hey, you did it before. You can do it again. Or maybe a better way to pray is God renew our sleep tonight. Let Let us have a, miraculous sleep pattern. We wake up more than more energy than we went uh, any other day this week. Father God, we come before you. Thank you for your word, Lord. Uh, Thank you that you have just poured this out on on moral, moral, excuse me, and ceremonial laws, Lord. And, And God, thank you for showing us all the rules and ordinances you have regarding sexual morality to protect us, Lord, from ourselves. That's really what you're doing, God. You're protecting us from the carnality of our own hearts. God, I pray that you would free every one of us here, here this evening. If there's anybody struggling with sin, Lord, if there's anyone that's wrestling with um, sexual immorality of any kind, Lord, a, a moral law, Lord, a something ceremonial, Lord, that we're no longer called by the law, but maybe a good idea still, even though we're not under it by a law. God, we just pray for your work in our hearts. We pray that you'll set us free. We pray that, God, you will transform us. That's what your word does, Lord. It transforms us. So, God, as you send us out of here tonight, Lord, we we do pray, Lord, redeem the time. Redeem the time, Lord. Give us us a sweet night's sleep. Let us wake up again supernaturally, Lord, with more energy than we've had any other night this week with a half hour less of sleep, Lord. God, you can do it. Lord, there's nothing too hard for you. Thank you for this study and this time in your word, God, and I pray you seal it in the hearts of your people here tonight and that, Lord, they would think about it. We would think about it. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen.